Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 698 of the podcast and it is Friday the 16th of June 2023 as I record this. In today's show, I'm talking to Damon Courtney from BookFunnel about all the fantastic ways that BookFunnel can help authors. Now, I've been using it for years and I remember meeting Damon before he started it and we had this particular problem as indie authors that he solved with BookFunnel and we talk about that. But we also talk about how there's loads more functions. And basically, I a few months ago, I guess now, uh, I tried to do something with my Shopify store and I was like, I wonder if BookFunnel can help. And I went over and it already offered this particular thing uh, for bundling multiple files. And I was like, that's amazing. There's a whole load of things I don't know about BookFunnel. So Damon will, I bet you're going to learn something because there was things I still didn't know about. Uh, Damon is wonderful. He's super jolly. And I'm sure you, if you go to Author Functions, you may well meet him at uh, various events. Um, So yeah, really interesting interview, very useful. And I'll also link in the show notes to all the other tools that I use in my author business. But essentially, you can only run an author business by using tools that uh, people build for us. And I obviously I'm a one person company. So I use tons of different tools. BookFunnel is one of them linked in the show notes to other things. So our discussion coming up in the interview section. In publishing and book marketing news, well, in book promotion news, Hello Books and Written Word Media have joined forces for promotion stacking. So you can now book a Hello Books slot through Written Word Media and you can add a bargain booksy on top for the same date. So indie authors have been using ad stacking for years now. It basically means buying an email blast at different services to reach more readers and propel a book up the charts. But one of the challenges is trying to line up all the dates and try and book things for the right time. So it's great to see two services making it easier by working together. Links in the show notes to that or just go to hellobooks or writtenwordmedia.com. The Alliance of Independent Authors blog has a great article on calls to action, CTAs, which is something that every author needs to understand. And related to this uh, interview, one of them is sign up for my free book, which BookFunnel helps you deliver. So basically, a CTA, a call to action, is asking your reader to take a specific action. And there are two main problems that I see with authors. The first is you don't have any. (laughs) So you have no back matter. You have no ask to sign up for your email list and other things. Your website is hard to navigate and there's no clear action to take. Or the opposite problem, which is you have too many calls to action. So your back matter asks for a review and a sign up and a link to the next book and a bundle and all these different things. So yeah, you have to be careful. And I'm just as guilty of having too many. Uh, But I have, one of the things I have done correctly from day one is uh, have an email sign up on my websites and in all my books. That has been a foundation of my business and still is a foundation of my business. So this is a good article. It's got some 
some ideas for different kinds of books, social media, author websites, email marketing, and a good chance to revisit your calls to action. Um, Also, I will add another one which they didn't mention, which is podcasting. If you are a guest on a podcast, you need to prepare a link for your call to action that is easy to say out loud. So for example, thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint or jfpen.com forward slash free. Now, both of those links, which are my CTA links, uh, redirect to longer URLs. So remember, you cannot say out loud dash forward slash backslash, whatever, um, within the actual URL itself, I I should say. Uh, Obviously, you can say it between the the domain and the link. So thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint is fine. But if it was forward slash blueprint hyphen uh, new hyphen 2023, whatever. I mean, some people try and say these really long links. And the reality is, if you go to the creativepen.com forward slash blueprint to sign up for my email list and get the free blueprint, it will redirect. You can have a look in the top bar. It redirects to uh, a different site. So a ConvertKit page. So essentially, (laughs) my tip, in addition to the one on selfpublishingadvice.org, links in the notes, my tip is if you are doing anything in audio, make it easy to say out loud and for someone to write down or type out. In useful stuff, this year's Write Stuff Bundle is out at storybundle.com forward slash writing. It includes books like Playing the Short Game by Douglas Smith. Now, Doug has been on this show talking about that book. It is excellent if you're interested in short fiction. It is very, very good. The bundle also includes books on creating characters, podcasting for authors, starting your novel, how writers fail, a productivity bundle, a book on networking, how to get unstuck and much more. These bundles are great for readers, you, and they're great for writers as they are a form of selling direct and the writer makes good money. I don't have a book in this bundle this year, but it is really good. Um, you can also read the ebooks on any device. So check out the bundle at storybundle.com forward slash writing. On AI things, making mainstream headlines this week has been Paul McCartney using AI to create a new and final Beatles song to be released later this year and, of course, bound to go to the top of all the charts, uh, as reported by The Guardian and many other outlets. He used the new technology to extricate John Lennon's voice from an old demo and complete a decades-old song. Now, I love this because it's exactly what I have been talking about. This is an example of a real human artist using AI as a tool to create more art. And this is how I'm using it. And this is how the vast majority of creatives are using it, whether they're writers, visual artists, designers, musicians. We want to make more great art. We want to create more. And AI has a lot of options to help us. So I love seeing Paul McCartney do this because obviously he's a bit older and the Beatles super famous. And I've heard, um, you know, like my parents are talking about this. So it's a it's going to make the idea of using AI in creativity become more accepted and more talked about. So I, I love this. I'll li- again links in the show notes or you can just Google it because everyone's reporting on this at the moment. 
Related to this in our sphere, book cover designer De Monza, whom many of you may have used, has been a big player for indie authors for years now. I recommend his services, the, the team there, brilliant book covers. Um, so he has put out some blog posts on how uh, his team are going to use generative AI. I will link to uh, one of them, but there's loads of articles. He's really tried to cover everything because clearly people have a lot of questions. So he says, uh, this particular article is called Boosting Creativity, How AI Enhances Book Covers. He says, I'm rather excited about the prospect of using generative AI in book cover design. The technology can seriously speed up the ideation process. Most authors want their cover to be unique and memorable. Generative AI is awesome at ticking both boxes, and it's great for representation as you can easily have a black female pirate or an astronaut in a wheelchair or whatever you want, and you, you can't find those things in stock photos at the moment. He also says, the thing that blows my mind most about generative AI is that it can make perfect sense of the perfectly nonsensical. So when I say it makes things that have never existed before, I mean it. And this is on a personal note, this is why it's so much fun. Like I, Jonathan and I, we'll just, you know, we'll pass in the kitchen at lunchtime or something and we'll show each other pictures that we've created on our phone of weird stuff and cool ideas and new prompts. And we're both learning a lot about uh, words to use for visual art that we've never learned about before. So it's really interesting. And we just, ha it's, it's fun. <laughs> this is the thing. It's really, really fun. Also, I'm working with my book cover designer Jane with the Demon's Eye put out earlier this year. We did a generative cover. And so if you want, definitely, if you're working with a different cover designer, get them to read these articles. You should read these articles. Um, so yeah, Damon ends the article with, uh, this is another Damon, by the way. This is, <laughs> this, is, this is not Damon Courtney. This is a different Damon. Um, but yes, Damonza ends with, the tools are getting exponentially better the users are too. So as we learn to use the tools, we can do more. Generative AI streamlines the process of turning imagination and ideas into reality. AI will never replace true art or true artists. It will, however, make artists better. And obviously, I completely agree with all this. I think it's brilliant that he's doing this. I am I am just so happy that more and more people are now coming out and um, being on the side of let's use this to make our creativity even more amazing. And he has other articles covering legalities, ethics, copyright. Plus, he says, if you don't want his team to use AI in the process, he, he can, uh, there's a checkbox you can opt out. So they are uh, offering that service too. So staying with AI and back into narration, uh, Publishing Perspectives reports that Storytel has invested in 11 labs, looking to offer automated audiobook readings and voice switching for users between preferred voices. So first of all, Storytel is one of the uh, very big audiobook uh, companies. They're global, but they're particularly big in Europe. And 11 labs is one of the companies that is definitely moving into the lead in terms of the quality of their voice narration. Now, I'm also super excited about this because many of the things that I have talked about for years are starting to come true. So I've been talking about wanting to voice switch, wanting to be able to listen to a book in a different voice than the one that the audiobook 
has been produced in. Uh, and this is, it's actually in my AI book in, from 2020. It's like, we can change the voice on Siri or Google Assistant or Alexa or many of these devices. Why can't we change the voice on audiobooks? Why do I always have to listen to business books read by American male voices? And they're not necessarily the author. They're just the voice that the companies choose to narrate that kind of book. Why can't I choose a British female voice? And you you might find, like, for example, A Thousand Fiendish Angels, which is three three short stories that I wrote that kind of come together. Uh, I have a version of that audiobook read by me, but I also have an AI one read by uh, a male voice. The, the characters in two of two out of the three stories are men. So it's like, well, you can listen to a British female or you can listen to a British male narrating this. Obviously, voices differ by uh, ac- different accents, different genders, different regions. There are so many different ways that a voice can sound. And uh, this may lead people to buy more audiobooks. Because if you think about it, right, uh, and I do this as an audiobook listener, sometimes I'll buy an audiobook and I'll be like, oh, wow, I'm really interested in this topic. And I start playing it and the voice annoys me so much, I never listen again. I just can't stand it. So then I either have to... Um, read that book, buy it in another format, uh, or I just won't listen to it at all. So the choice of narrator that you think is perfect might not be the voice that I want to listen to. (laughs) And I think this is really important as, you know, if you think globally, I think it's just a reality that we can, we almost put ourselves in a situation when we hear a voice that is more like ours. So yeah, I think this is amazing. I think this is a huge deal uh, because the listener should have the power. They should be able to choose what they, what the voice they want. So yeah, I'm very interested in this because Eleven Labs is emerging as one of the big players in text to speech. The quality of their narration is incredible. Go have a listen. Uh, I'll be coming to this, back to this in a few weeks time uh, because it's it's been four years since I put out my nine ways AI will disrupt publishing. So I will be going through that uh, in on the anniversary of that uh, post with Nick Thacker. Nick Thacker is going to come on the show if you know Nick. Uh, and uh, he's another action adventure author and also inventor, entrepreneur, and also at draft to digital So we'll be talking about that in a few weeks time. I'm ex- excited about recording that discussion. But yeah, 11 Labs, amazing. But again, as ever, human narrators, absolutely amazing. I'm a human narrator, so I definitely want to keep human narrators. All I'm saying is we need the flexibility. So I want to have a human narrated version of my books. And then I want this AI voice switching version of the book. So you can buy mine, you can buy one where you can choose the voice. I want to essentially uh, stratify the audiobook rights so that we can do all of these things. And this is the whole point with AI. I don't think it's it opens up more opportunity. So that's how I want us to think about it. It's about abundance. And a book recommendation to help you with AI called The Ethical Writer's Guide to Harnessing the Power of AI Using AI with Integrity by H.J. Phillips. Links in the show notes. So that's The Ethical Writer's Guide to Harnessing the Power of AI. Now, I read an early copy of this and it gives lots of ideas for prompts. So well worth getting. And of course, I'll share my process more in my upcoming webinars, but I'm finding it so interesting to learn about how other people are using the tools. We all use them quite differently, I think, and it just kind of reveals how differently our brains work. It's fascinating. 
In personal news, I am in the final chapters, like literally the final chapters of my standalone monster book, Catacomb. It's basically the movie Taken meets Beowulf in the catacombs under Edinburgh. That might give you a little bit of a, <laughs> an idea. So I will finish and print the draft in the next few days. Then I will hand edit. Before then, I will go through pro writing aid, which I'll talk about in a minute. Uh, I'm really happy with it, although it is essentially a long novella. I had intended it to be a full length novel, but it's 42,000 words right now and it doesn't need to be any more. It takes place over a single night or even less than a night. So um, yeah, I think it's perfect as it is. Well, it's not perfect, but it feels like it is the right length. I, I mean, this is the thing about books, right? If you're an indie, you can do whatever the hell you like <laughs> and then price it accordingly. But it's it's a long novella or a super short novel. I think 50,000 words is is a, is the novel sort of cut off. So it's a, it's a long novella. Uh, but it will be my first longer form piece in collaboration with GPT-4. And I'll be covering that in the upcoming webinars. It will go to, which by the way, you could find, you can find at thecreativepen.com forward slash live. Uh, most of them, are, three of them are sold out. There's two more, two more um, as I record this, there are two sessions with some tickets left. Uh, so thecreativepen.com forward slash live. And depending on how things go, I will schedule some more later in the year. Of course, things change every time. <laughs> things change every week at the moment. It's incredible. So I will just add to these webinars uh, as I go. Uh, the book, so Catacomb, will go to my editor end of June. So I've just got just a couple more weeks to go. And I'm planning on launching it direct and I will launch it on my new Shopify store for fiction, which will be jfpenbooks.com. It is not live as I record this, but if you're listening from, uh, let's say, August 2023, it will be live by August 2023. And I'm going to keep my nonfiction at creativepenbooks.com, that is live now, uh, with links between the two stores. Now, you know I didn't want to build two stores. Like I really didn't, hence why I have had one for the last year. But I have learned that, uh, well, I've learned many things. <laughs> and I will do a Shopify episode at some point. I might even do some Shopify webinars with behind the scenes stuff uh, because lots of people are asking me. But essentially, the two brands, it really is just what I need. I knew I needed to do this in general with my my names. I needed to do it for the main websites and I need to do it for my stores. Separate audiences, separate look and feel. And I am loving jfpenbooks.com. I'm having, again, with Midjourney, I'm creating some awesome character shots, which are going on the on the site. And once I get ads going again, um, learning a lot about that, increasingly the algorithms with the AI behind them will find people who might be interested in the different kinds of books. And it's much easier if the two audiences are separated. So more on that once it's all done. But yes, as soon as I get... Um, catacomb out the door the store is my next thing I need to do I'm also prepping my AI webinars I'm actually really enjoying the process of prepping it uh, I won't just be covering GPT-4 I'll be covering uh, Claude and Bard and Bing and all the different things uh, that that I use and uh, yeah so it's really fun and um, so this week I'm in London for the self-publishing show live and I'm excited to see Bella Andre speak in particular. Bella was one of the earliest indie authors and an incredible businesswoman and has been going hard into translations. So I'm really interested to hear what she has to say. And it's also a chance to catch up with lots of indie author friends, patrons and listeners to the show. So say hi if you're there.
So thanks for your emails and tweets and comments this week. Maggie Pope sent a lovely picture from the garden and said, I listen while gardening. Imogen Clark replied on Twitter about my question that I posed last week and quite a few of you responded to this. Imogen says, freedom, fame or fortune, pick one. An interesting question as ever. I thought about it hard. I pick freedom. Fantastic, Imogen. And lots of uh, people thinking about that. It's always good to consider. And like I said, no value judgment. So on Thomas's interview about Christian publishing last week, Parker said, brilliant interview, great insights into the Christian book market and good advice for all authors. Thank you both. And on YouTube, Frag Wagon says, I appreciate this episode in particular. I'm working on a historical fantasy that has some mystical Catholic elements and a Catholic worldview in general. I'm a little afraid it's too religious for a general audience and not religious enough for a church audience, but it is what it is. I've got to finish it first. And yes, that resonates with me. As I said, my Arcane series is very much fits here. It's like it's too religious for many and it's not Christian and not religious enough for others. But there you go. (laughs) It is a niche. So remember, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen, send me pictures of where you're listening from around the world. I love that. Email me, joanna at thecreativepen.com or leave a comment on the blog or the YouTube channel. I love to hear from you. It makes this more of a conversation. So today's episode is sponsored by Pro Writing Aid, because however you choose to publish, whether you go direct to readers or you go indie or you want a traditional deal, you need to make your book the best it can be. So I use ProWritingAid multiple times in my creative process, once after the full draft is finished, before I print it for hand edits. And that is what I'm about to do this week. I will finish the draft of uh, Catacomb in Scrivener. And then once it's all done, essentially I change the flags to a different colour. And I have a tutorial on that as well, if you're interested. Um, But essentially I... Uh, do it all in Scrivener and then I open ProWritingAid on my desktop. I open the Scrivener file and then I work through all of the chapters and uh, it also integrates with all the other stuff with MS Word and Google Docs and blah, 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 everything. But this is how I do it and I work through, make the changes and then then I print it out. So I always use it before I do hand edits because I need the book to be the best it can be before I do my hand edits. Then, so I print it out and then I hand edit, so scribble all over the thing. Then I make my changes back into Scrivener. Then I use ProWritingAid again. Then I send it to my human editor, Kristen, who's also been on the show. So why use software to help you? Why don't you just learn all the grammar and writing rules and apply them yourself? Well, we all use tools to improve our process and we are often blind to our own writing issues. I mean, I'm pretty experienced at this point. I've written a lot of books, but uh, I always use ProWritingAid because it knows the rules and helps me apply them. You can also choose not to make the changes as you like, but it helps with making your writing more active, finding repeated words, finding words you could improve, sentence structure, grammar and punctuation issues, as well as typos, spacing problems and more. I mention all the integrations and I would rather pay my human editor to fix the things the software can't. ProWritingAid is brilliant and also it now integrates with AI and will help you rewrite things in different ways, but it cannot comment on the manuscript as a whole. So I use ProWritingAid as my essential editing tool before sending to my human editor. 
You can check out the free edition or get 25% off the premium edition by using my link, prowritingaid.com forward slash Joanna, J-O-A-N-N-A. That's prowritingaid.com forward slash Joanna. So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing, but my time in creating the show is sponsored by my patrons, and they especially support the in-between episodes on AI and other futurist topics, and I have more of those coming soon. I'm especially grateful to those patrons who've been supporting the show for years now and months and days. You're all amazing. Thanks to new and returning patrons this week, Roger D. Smith, Scott Gillespie, Emma Jane Heaton and Daphne Garrison. If you support the show on Patreon, you'll get my extra monthly Q&A for patrons only, which I will be recording in the next week or so. (laughs) Or at least it will be before the end of the month, I promise. Like I said, I've given myself a little bit too much to do this month. But I answer your questions around craft and publishing and marketing, making money, AI and more. You can support the show with a few dollars or euros or pounds or whatever and less than a coffee a month or a couple of coffees if you're feeling generous and I do drink a lot of coffee. You can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview. Damon Courtney is a fantasy author, entrepreneur, and founder of bookfunnel.com, which I consider one of my must-use tools as part of my author business. So welcome back to the show, Damon. It's so good good to be back. I can't believe it's been as long as it has. When was the last time we we did a thing? It's like almost a decade or something. (laughs) (laughs) It it is a decade in indie publishing, right? It's probably two decades in indie publishing since we since we last talked. Of course, we see each other frequently. We just saw each other back in February in, in Colorado, but me being on the show and chatting like this in an official capacity. Yes. And I mean, you like you said, you are at a lot of author conferences, but I wanted to make sure people know a bit about your origin story as well, because unlike a lot of the service companies that work for and with authors, you're an author yourself. And that's how I originally met you all those years ago. But tell people like a bit more about you and your background in writing and tech and why you're also a, I guess, a book geek as well as a tech geek. Well, so we'll go all the way back to the tech thing first, because that really came first, which was I actually started programming, writing computer code when I was seven years old. My dad brought home this really old ancient computer, especially ancient by today's standards. It was called a TRS-80, but we call them a trash 80 in the tech world. And it plugged into your television and it had no hard drive. It had no disk drive. It had no nothing. You just wrote code into it. And it came with this giant floppy book that you could learn to code with in, in a language called BASIC. And everybody else kind of toyed with it, even my dad, and then just kind of left it sitting there on the living room floor. And I was the only one that was like, what is this? What is this thing? So I, I've been doing tech for my really my entire life. I became a reader probably around the age of 12. I had a fantastic librarian when I was in sixth grade who introduced me to The Hobbit and The Black Cauldron and all these amazing fantasy books, which were always my thing. Like while the other boys my age were playing Cowboys and Indians, I was playing Knights and Dragons. Um, but there weren't like, I didn't have any books to read. I couldn't find them. I remember going to the card catalog. That was a thing for you younger kids. There was a <laughs> card catalog in the library. And I, I remember literally going to the card catalog and opening up D and looking for the word dragon and then going to W and looking up wizard, because that was all I knew how to do to find the things that I wanted to read. 
So the tech thing really came first and then the reading and then becoming a lifelong reader. I mean, just absolutely. I, I still read every single night. That's my wind down. When I get into bed, I put the kids to bed, I get in bed and I sit and I read every single night. Now eBooks, I don't read paper anymore. Everything I do is on eBooks, but um, that started all of that. The writing thing really came about because of indie publishing, right? Uh, so I'm going to admit some of my geekery. I, I play Dungeons and Dragons. I have my entire life. I have been the, what we call the forever dungeon master. So I've been the dungeon master of my group, the same group for about 30 plus years now. And I mean, being a dungeon master is just writing stories, right? You're writing stories that you play around a table with a bunch of other people, but that's really what it is. You're writing stories, you're making up stories for other people to experience. So there was always this sort of secret dream that maybe one day I could be a writer, but I I remember reading about it. I remember looking it up and, and trying to read about it and learning about the process by which a book was published. And you basically query it and you send it out into the world and they reject you a billion times. And then maybe if you're lucky and you spend 10 years toiling away at it, you might get someone to finally anoint you and approve that your book was good enough. And I thought, well, I I have absolutely no interest in doing that. Part of my tech background is that the beauty of being a computer programmer is if you want to make something, it doesn't require anyone, any other person in the world. It's you and a computer and you can just sit down and start hacking out code and you can make these amazing things. That's where BookFunnel started. And we'll get to that in a second. But it that, that's been my whole life. If I wanted to do something in code, I could just sit down and start making it. So when indie publishing really blew up, which was around 2010, that's when I got my first Kindle. And I lucked out. I was looking for a book to read. I found a fantasy book that was on Amazon for $2.99. And I'd never seen a book that cheap, right? Like none <laughs> of us had. Books were $20, $25 if you wanted to buy a book, maybe $8 if you wanted a mass market paperback. So I thought, three bucks, sweet. So I picked that up and I read it. And I say I lucked out because it turned out to be now one of my favorite authors who I'm a super fan of. And it was just a fantastic book and got to the end of it and the author's note. And started reading the author's note and went, "What? Wait, what? You you just publish your own books? Well, that's that's not a thing." And then you start googling it and looking it up and go, "Holy crap! It really is a thing. You can just like put books up on Amazon and publish them." And that started the wheels turning. Like, well, I mean, you've always wanted to write a book. Well, why not you? You you can write a book. Why don't you give it a shot? Um, so that was like that was the long <laughs> journey to getting to you know becoming. Starting off in tech, being a programmer, being a lifelong lover of books and fantasy and reading, and then eventually leading to ultimately writing and publishing my own fantasy books. Wait, you have to tell us who who that author was. His name is David Dalglish. And he actually went indie. He went from indie. He's now traditionally published almost exclusively, though I think he has put out a few indie books. So that's a little disappointing, not because I'm disappointed that he went traditional, but him going traditional means I only get one book a year from him when he used to publish like four to six books a year. So (laughs) that is where my disappointment lies. That said, I actually just finished his most recent book. So I'm a David Dalglish super fan, right? I will read every book that he publishes now because he's one of my favorite authors. And I discovered him through indie publishing in the indie world. And I just finished his most recent book. And it's just as fantastic as it always is. He's a fantastic writer. And that's always my journey, right? Anytime I finish a book or a series, um, I actually just finished a 16 book fantasy series. And I read the entire thing. I'm one of those, if I start, I have to go all the way to the end. Unless it, I mean, unless I'm not enjoying it, then I'll stop. I'm no longer a book martyr. I used to be a book martyr. And I'm like, well, I started this book. I don't like it, but I feel like I should finish it just to show respect to the author. Now I'm like, man, I don't have time for that. So, um, 
So I just finished a 16 book fantasy series. And as soon as I finish a series, my, you know, it's always the same. Okay. What is the next either series I can find or the next author I can fall in love with so that I can read all of their books? Yeah. And my husband is also a fantasy reader and listener, listens to a lot of audio. And he's the same, like each audio book has to be at least 40 hours and there has to be a hell of a lot of books in a series for him to be interested. So you fantasy listeners and readers, you're difficult to please. But let's just come back to your own books. So you published what, how many books and then why did you start Book Funnel? So I published three books and I started Book Funnel because I'd actually published the second book of my trilogy. So I started, I I tend to be, I I used to be, I'm a little better now, but I tend to be a little flighty. You know, I have these great ideas and it's all part of my ADHD, but I started writing these books and I made myself a promise that if I was going to pop, so I finished the first book, I had it professionally edited and I, I really liked it and I wanted to publish it, but I sort of made myself a promise that if you publish this book, you're going to have to finish the trilogy because at that point, especially in indie publishing, I run into several cases where I started reading a series, I fell in love with it, and then the author just fell off the planet, right? They stopped after book two or book three, and we never heard from them again. And I did not want to be one of those authors, knowing that I have an absolute tendency to be one of those authors. So I said, okay, if you're going to publish this first book, you're committed to three because it's a trilogy and we like our trilogies in fantasy. So I published the first book and I was getting ready to publish the second book. And I'd had a few meager sales. Back then, you could just put a book out for 99 cents and you could get sales, right? So I'd had some sales and people were reading the books. And I was like, okay, well, how do I find more readers? I was listening to Joanna Penn (laughs) and I was listening to, uh, um, uh, you know, I was reading Hugh Howey's blog and Joe Conrad's blog and all of the people of the time. And the whole idea of list building and getting your own mailing list so that you could contact and talk to your readers directly was really coming into its own. And people were starting to talk more about it and then thus begat the reader magnet, which was back then we didn't call a thing. It was just a free story or a free book. And I was like, oh, that's, I can do that. I can write a short story. And then I give that away and people get on my list. And that's how I can work on selling these books more. At that time, I wasn't thinking I'm going to go build more software. I was actually, at that point, I was thinking, I wonder if I could leave the software industry and become a writer full-time, right? All of us, (laughs) even though I love software, right? It was never a case of, I absolutely hate my job and I would just love to be a writer so that I can get out of this terrible drudgery, right? I love Mm. writing code, but it was sort of like, well, but I mean, being a writer would be pretty cool, right? You know, to get to tell these stories. And of course I'd had notes and reams and reams of notes of all of these things and these ideas and the world building because we're fantasy authors. And so we just spend gobs of time building worlds that sometimes we don't even write the books. And so I had started this idea that like, oh, I'm going to build my list and I'm going to write a reader magnet and I'm going to put that out there. And okay, so how do I deliver the reader magnet? And I signed up for your list and I signed up for Joe Conrath and I signed up for Hugh Howie and I signed up for all of these the biggest authors at the time, some of whom obviously are still huge. And it was like, oh, thanks for joining my list. Here's your EPUB. Here's your Moby. Good luck and God bless. And and I thought, you know, I'm a techie guy. I know how to get the book onto my Kindle. That's fine. But I don't know that average people are going to figure out how to do this. Yeah, just to interject there, many people listening won't remember this. It, it was like we spent however many years it was trying to figure out side loading the yes. devices. That's what we used to call it back then. It's so funny now. That's what we used to talk about. And no one talks about this anymore because of Book Funnel. So 
It, it's kind of amazing that you managed to solve this. I mean, we used to have this download page and it would say, if you have a Kindle, click here and here's the thing. And we would always get these emails that were like, I've got an old Samsung whatever and I can't get the <laughs> file on. And it was a nightmare. It was so much of a nightmare, a lot to people like me. It just became like, oh, why do I bother? And I feel like it's such a huge thing. And like you said, most people cannot get devices, get files onto their devices. Even now, if people try and do it manually, it's a struggle. So yes, coming back to what you decided to fix this problem, right? Yeah, that was it. So my wife will tell you that I I think I can solve every problem with software because that's my hammer, right? To every carpenter with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. But I tried this and I was like, I I bet I could, I think I could solve this. Let me try this. I have a Kindle. I have an iPhone. Let me play around with this and just see if it's possible. And I started to see how it could be done, right? How you could, at the very least, the most common devices like Kindles and iPhones and iPads and Android phones, like, okay, Those, If you could cover all of those, then you're going to get 90% of the way there. Sure, there's Kobos and there's Nooks and there's Sony readers and there's Tolino readers in Germany. Like There's all kinds of other stuff. But if you could get most of it covered, I, I think you could make something that would work. So I started building it really initially just for my own books for my own reader magnet delivery, because I was at the time, remember, I was still thinking I was going to be a famous writer and building my list and giving out my reader magnet was going to be the way that I did that. But the more that I started to build the tech and the more that I realized, oh, this is really good. Like this actually works. It gets the books to most of these major devices. I I bet other people could use this too. And I started to see the other authors. I would hear them on podcasts saying like, oh, I love building my list. I love having my list and talking directly to my readers. But man, dealing with the support is such a pain in the butt. And I was like, oh, wait, I I think I can solve that problem, right? That's where BookFunnel was born, was to solve my own, which I think, I I personally think all the best software in the world is built by people who wanted to solve their own problem first and then thought, hey, maybe other people would like this too, right? If you set out from, hey, this is a great idea that could make me lots of money, I don't think you have the, Mm. you don't have the passion for it and you don't have the insight into why do people need to do this, so we launched BookFunnel and our initial old, I'm sure you can find it on like the Wayback Archive. Our first homepage was all about solving this problem of tech support and delivery and delivering the files to readers' devices. Because at the time, that was the problem that BookFunnel was built to solve. But two years on, we had to rewrite our whole website because new authors that were coming into the indie world didn't know this was a problem because all of the biggest authors had already signed up for BookFunnel and were using it. So nobody talked about it anymore. Nobody talked about the quote sideloading problem. So people would get in and be like, oh, I don't know why I need BookFunnel. Can I just attach an, an EPUB to an email? And people go, no, 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 don't do that. Have fun right? with just, that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're gonna, you, you can do that. Sure. You're going to have a grand old time supporting all of those readers. Okay. So let's fast forward to now because obviously things have developed over time. And why I particularly wanted to talk to you was quite recently, I um, will come to Shopify and Selling Direct in a bit, but I was like, oh, why can't I do this? And I emailed you or one of the team and said, can I do this? And you were like, yeah, you could do this this way. And I didn't even realize that I could do that. So we want to know all the things that BookFunnel has turned into that can help authors today. Because as you said, you have 
great insight into what authors need, not just because of your own experience, but because like we said, you're at every conference and you talk to a lot of people. You're very friendly and approachable. People should definitely chat to you. (laughs) So let's start with the list building. So where are we today with how authors can use BookFunnel for list building? So again, originally why I built BookFunnel was I was trying to build my list. So the delivery was the problem that we were solving. But very, very quickly, once we, I mean, really once we solved that problem, which we put out our first version, we didn't know what we didn't know. And as an engineer, we think we've solved all the problems and this couldn't possibly be confusing for anybody. Uh, And so we put out, I put out the first version of BookFunnel and very quickly found that I was wrong about a lot of things. But within a few months, we had, had worked all those issues out. So once the once we felt like we had solved the sideloading problem pretty well, the very next thing is like, well, great, but how can BookFunnel help me build my list? Because I'm already out there doing all these other things. Wouldn't it be great if BookFunnel could help with that? So that was why we built it. And that was the first thing was just getting people to understand that you've written this reader magnet, you've put it out there into the world, and you really need to start pushing it everywhere. So putting your reader magnet at the back of every book, every short story, everything that you publish should have a call to action that says, join my list. Every email you send, your signature should say, hey, join my list, get a free book, right? You know, putting all of that stuff out there and and just obviously using BookFunnel as the delivery, the features that we started to build around that were initially... All BookFunnel had was a down, what we call a download page, which was we didn't accept the reader's email address. We didn't do anything but sort of give them the files and then walk them through their devices and, and instruct them on how to get the books there. But we very, very quickly realized that we needed to be in greater control of the collection, mostly because in the beginning, a lot of people didn't know how to even build a website or a web page or what we call a squeeze page, which is sending them somewhere from the back of your book to get the to get signed up and then a squeeze page is one where they can't leave the page there's no other links that take them somewhere else because if they can they'll they might click on something else and it's great they start browsing around your website but really what you want is i've got your eyeball i want you to sign up for my newsletter right now while while i've got you here so we built that we built sign up pages very very shortly after we we launched all of our initial products because authors wanted us to do the signups then it became a whole rash of, well, we have to integrate with MailChimp and then MailerLite. And now we integrate with like 15 different email services because people just kept asking, well, well what about ConvertKit? Have you guys heard of Blue? Like we get those emails all the time. And I will say all the features that we build at BookFunnel, they come directly from our authors. When our authors email us and say, hey, you know, we, you talk about the what the experience that you had, we get that all the time. Anytime I go to conferences, people will come up and they'll say, oh, you know what I would love to do with BookFunnel? I would love to do this thing. And the answer is you can do that. Or you know what? It'd be great if BookFunnel had a feature that did this. We have a feature that does that. The problem that we have is that we launch our features. We call them feature grenades. So we, it's not a good thing at all. And it's not at all how you should run a business, but we create a new feature, we write a blog post, we send it out, we throw it at everybody, and then we run away and we never talk about it ever again. So if we built something three years ago, it's likely that we haven't talked about it since the initial blog post that announced that feature. So every one of our users can be forgiven for not knowing that we do something that we do because we're not really good at going back in and talking about those things after the fact. Mm. So well, okay, so this well then this is a kind of rapid fire section where you're going <laughs> to try and give us a sort of rundown. And I mean, perhaps 
mention some of the things that you're surprised people don't use more of or things that I know I've asked for as well. Audiobooks are a big one. So we can certainly come back to that. But arcs are something I know people worry about. Tell us some of the things that people can use that they might not expect. So the first feature we built after the initial delivery was ARC delivery, advanced reader copy delivery, which is very different than just sort of general, you know, somebody writes a reader magnet and you put it out there into the world and you're giving it away to everybody who signs up for your mailing list. It's the lost leader. It's the thing that you're giving away. Now, of course, I want you to sign up for my list, but if somebody turned around and shared that link and gave it to somebody else, it's not the worst thing in the world. You might gain a new reader out of it. Somebody who read your reader magnet and then falls in love with your writing and says, I'm going to go buy the rest of this series, right? Mm. Not so with arcs. Arcs are your, you know, especially if you're a very popular writer, if you're a big writer, your books are likely to get pirated almost instantly because there are so many fans that love your books. Sadly, you would think that your fans wouldn't be out there pirating your books. And it's usually not, I will say from our evidence, it's usually almost never your ARC team. It's always once the book actually gets published out into the world. But there are so many people that are waiting for it that it's out there, right? So for ARC delivery, we knew that what authors wanted was something that was going to be a bit more secure. So when you have a link, even just a sign-up link, right? And say, hey, sign up and get my ARC. If somebody shares that link with somebody else, well, then somebody else could also sign up and technically you get their email address, but now they've got your brand new book that you weren't really intending for them to get. So when we built Arc Delivery, we built a feature called Certified Mail that that you give us the email addresses. We email every single reader their own unique individual download link that is protected from them sharing that with other people. And we have lots of different features that are built into that. One of the features we just launched last year was what we call restricted delivery, which is over the years as BookFunnel has gotten bigger, we built our own app for Android and iOS. We built our own cloud reader where readers can read eBooks in their browsers, audiobooks, and all of that sort of stuff. But what restricted delivery does is lets you restrict the delivery of that book to only reading within BookFunnel's platform. So if they can install our, their, on their iOS or their Android device, they can read in, in our browser reader on pretty much any device in the world. But the reason is, the reason that's really, really good for ARC delivery is I don't want this book getting out to everyone in the world until I'm ready for the world to see it. This book is really intended for my small 60-person advanced team. And, you know, I, I trust my team. They're a great team, but I'd really, I don't trust them completely. And I'd rather that this book not get shared out into the world or worse, get pirated before I've even had a chance to publish it. So the needs of an author who's putting out an advanced copy are very different than somebody who's putting out a reader magnet that's there for public consumption. So the kinds of features that we built into certified mail for art delivery were all designed around this idea that you don't want this book escaping out into the world until you're ready, until you're ready for that book to be released. And then as far as other features that we built, we have this, it's a super simple feature, but I love it. It's called gift a book. And it really is just Select a book that's on your BookFunnel account. Give me an email address. You can create templates for all the different kinds of emails that you send. And then you just, boom, send them a book. And it's sort of like certified mail, but for one person. It creates a unique link to that book that is just for that person to download. And then, of course, it tracks everything that they do. So if you're looking back at your gifts, you can see, oh, hey, they got their book. Or they got their link. They downloaded their book. They're reading it on their Kindle. Like You have all of the data available to you. The nice thing about that is if you are... We have a lot of nonfiction authors that use that because if you're at a conference and you're talking to somebody and you're saying, oh, you know what? 
you would love my, I think my book is perfect for you. Hey, what's your email address? Let me send it to you. And you just pop up your book funnel account on your smartphone and bop, 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 tap in their email address and boom, you send them a copy. And it's, you can't do that with anything else in the world, right? You can go, you can try man, you know, maneuvering your way through Amazon system of buying a gift copy for somebody and kind of sending it to them. But it really sort of sends them a gift card, which they can use to buy other things. And you can't gift across countries. So this is a really oh, right. important point. I mean, you're in the US, a lot of your customers in the US, but I'm in the UK. And sometimes US authors will say to me, oh, I'll just gift you a copy on Amazon.com. I'm like, no, you can't because the gifts don't work. And this is another thing about BookFunnel. It's truly international. And this is an international show. And so we Absolutely. like to think of products that are global as opposed to specifically for the USA. So I think that's really important too, is that you really are offering like a a global service. Yeah, we have no, we get the question sometimes. We have absolutely zero geographic restrictions. Everything that you send through BookFunnel can be read by anyone in the world. If they can get an internet connection, they can get a book from us. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, our gift to book feature, it's, it really is just a simple feature. Give me the email address. You can put in their name, but it's, like I said, it's kind of nice because you can track everybody that you've ever gifted a book to. You can see if they got it. You can follow up with them after the conference and say, hey, it was lovely meeting you. It looks like you haven't downloaded your copy. Here's that link again. If you wanted to grab a copy of the book, it was so great to meet you, right? Like it's just such a great little feature, but it's super, super simple. And that we built that at the same time that we built the ARC delivery. Cause I, well, cause I'd already built all the tech for sending out little short private links for everybody in an on your ARC team. And I thought hey, it would be really cool if people could just send one at a time. Cause I had, even in my short, very short author career had bumped into people where I thought, you know what? I bet they would like, oh, I love fantasy books. And I'm telling them about the books that I've read. And I think, I bet they would like my book. Well, I don't, obviously I don't carry copies with me in my back pocket. And I thought, oh, I'll just, I, hey, I'll just email you a copy. Well, that even with BookFunnel initially, that wasn't possible. I could maybe find and copy and paste a link and open up an email in my mail app and send it to you. But it wasn't as simple as, let me get your email address Click, boom, there you've got a copy. We have authors that use uh, using the templating that you can build and gift a book. They have templates for like birthdays. So when their readers have a birthday, they just go in and say, gift a book, select the birthday template. Here's a free book. And they just send them off and away they go. It's such a neat little thing. Speaking of like carrying books with you, we have a feature called print codes. And what that is, is... We called it print codes we because we specifically designed it so people would use it in print, but you can really use them anywhere. We have authors that are using them a ton now for Kickstarter delivery and fulfillment. But what print codes are is you take your book, you go into BookFunnel and say, hey, generate 100 unique codes for this book. And those unique, each one is the, a little nine-digit code that's unique um, to that person. You generate those codes, you go off and you print them and you put them onto the back of a business card or a bookmark or a postcard or something like that. And now when you're standing around talking to somebody and somebody says, oh, or you go to a conference and you've got a table set up and somebody says, oh, I love your books and say, oh, great. Let me give you a copy of my of my reader magnet or let me give you a copy of the new book. Here you go. And you hand them that little card and that little code on the back of the card is unique to them. They can go and use it, redeem their copy of their book. And then that's it. The code is dead and it can't be used again. So we call the carrying your eBooks in your pockets, right? Because that was not something that authors could really do. Certainly not easily. I, you know, if you have these great eBooks, almost no author is carrying just random copies of their paperbacks in a bag slung over their shoulder. But how nice is it that you can just carry a few business cards in your pocket and now you can hand people a copy of your ebook? 
So what about the author swaps and the group promotions? Because I know that some people are, are using that to work with other authors. And I guess tell us about the feature, but also who it's good for, because I have tried it before and different levels of authors get on mm-hmm. differently, I would say. So let's sure. also give some advice there. Sure. So we built two two major features that group promos came first, and that was the you are wanting to work with other authors in your genre, find other authors in your genre who, you know, I have a list and you have a list and we both write space opera. So your readers are already predisposed to like my books because I write space opera and my readers are probably going to like your books. And we're always fond of saying in the business that it's not a zero sum game. You know, readers don't just read one book and go, well, that's my book for the year. I guess I'll have to wait till next year to read that Joanna Penn book. Like, They don't do that. If they're readers, they're just going to, when they finish one book, they're going to go on and say, what's the next book that I can find? And so as an author, sometimes your job is they, they're going to read all of your books. And when they're done with all of your books, they're looking for someone else to read. And as we all help each other, I can offer you up some books that you might like, because these other authors are also indies in my genre. So group promos is just that we're all joining together and working together because we all write in the same genre. and. It's really, I, I really, when you talk about who is it really for, any author can use it. You do have differing levels. And if you go through the group promo board on BookFunnel, which is just a big giant board that's separated out by genres, so you can kind of see what is available and what is recruiting in your genre as you're looking for other authors to join in, you will find some that are geared towards bigger authors, mm-hmm. authors that either have a bigger list or have more books, a bigger backlist. Sometimes they'll be looking for because they're looking for authors that are a bit more established to introduce their readers to. And then other times you'll find promos that are really built and catering towards newer authors, right? Sometimes it doesn't, and then sometimes they're sort of all over the place. You know, if you take 20 authors and all 20 of those authors, even if they have a small list of only a hundred readers, well, that's still 2000 readers that everybody's going to get introduced to if we all work together and we all send it to our small, tiny little lists. Mm -hmm. Usually what group promos end up with is you'll have a few tentpole authors that have much bigger lists, but are willing to share their lists with other readers. Because even if you've only got a hundred readers, some of those readers on your list have never heard of me. And I'm just trying to get my reader magnet in front of as many readers as I can possibly get it in front of because those people read my magnet. And then if you're doing your job right, your reader magnet leads into your series. And then people are going to go on and read the rest of my series if they like it. If they don't like it, well, then they weren't going to be my fan anyway. And that's okay. But you want to get your books in front of as many readers as you can because you don't know how many of those readers are going to take you up on your offer and then become readers. And then you don't know how many of those readers are going to go on to become super fans. People like me that when I become a super fan, that's it. I'll buy every book you've got for the end till the end of time. So that, that was group promos. Author swaps came along later and it's really just a one-on-one. So they are, we like to consider them like a bit more personal, right? If I'm going to swap with Joanna Penn and I'm going to tell my readers, you'll love this book series by Joanna Penn. Then I, probably want to make sure that your books are good, right? I, I want to have at least, there's a little bit of vetting because it feels like a, a more like a personal recommendation if you're recommending just one person. If you're saying, hey, I'm in this great promotion with these 30 other space opera authors, nobody's expecting you to have read all 30 of those space opera authors' books, right? And so we sort of layer it and say, 
if you're just coming into list building, if you're just joining BookFunnel, you probably want to look at group promos first because you can be a bit more anonymous and you can work yourself in with other authors in your genre. You can also build your list a lot faster. Group promos are going to build up your list very quickly. Author swaps are going to be a little more slowly, but you're going to be able to reach authors' audiences that may not want to participate in larger group promos. They want to do more targeted things. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go on to direct sales because I was using BookFunnel for PayHip for eBooks. And then you moved into audiobooks, which are kind of a game changer for many of us because audiobooks, I feel, have become, it's more difficult to make a lot of profit than it used to be. And when you sell audio and eBooks direct, you can make more profit. So I'm now using Shopify and I've built everything to integrate with BookFunnel for eBooks and audiobooks. And the thing I mentioned earlier for people listening was that I wanted to sell a bundle. So three eBooks or multiple products within one Shopify product, but multiple BookFunnel products. And I could set all of that up, which was very exciting to me. So talk Talk a bit about direct sales, why you've gone into that and any tips. So we built, we launched direct sales in 2000, September, 2017. So two years after BookFunnel launched, even though the very first week that BookFunnel had existed, we got our first email saying, can BookFunnel deliver sales? Right. Like we had, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) probably. I bet I could go back and look and find it. But like there, I mean, we had not even had our doors open a week and people were saying, can you deliver sales? So there was always this thing sort of like, oh, yeah, that would be really cool. But we still had a lot of other features to build. We did launch direct sales two years later in 2017. And I, I really built it because so many authors kept asking for it. But I'll be honest, I didn't think it was going to be successful. I truly believed that readers really just want to buy from Amazon or Kobo or Barnes & Noble or wherever they're comfortable buying from and that they weren't going to buy from your store. So I, I almost built it out of protest so that people would just leave me alone and stop asking me for it. Like, fine, here's your direct sales and you're not going to get any sales. You're never going to make it. And I'm happy to say I was proven very, very wrong. Even in the early days, we launched it and within a few weeks, we'd already had several thousand sales from authors' websites. And I thought, how is that possible? And it's possible because I was just completely wrong. What I was wrong about was that readers, there are some readers, and you know, try very try to be diplomatic. There are some readers that are very loyal to their platform, right? Mm-hmm. They only want to read books on their uh, K-shaped device or A-shaped store. And that's their loyalty lies with the retailer. There are lots of readers, though, like me, I don't care where your books are. My loyalty lies with the authors that I fall in love with. And for them, if you are selling direct and it's easy for me to get the book from you, I will absolutely buy from your store. I would much rather that my money be going directly to the person who is producing the thing that I love. And so... Again, I I was really wrong about that, and I'm happy to be proven wrong because now direct sales is one of the largest growth features that BookFunnel has as more and more authors have gotten into it. And that came about because of, I, I think most more authors were willing to try it after we launched audiobooks. So we launched audiobooks a little over two years ago. It's still in beta because I haven't written the building software. That's if we're just being completely honest. But when we launched audiobooks, and again, that came about because people kept coming up to me at conferences. People kept emailing and say, when is BookFunnel going to do audiobooks? Oh, I'd love to use BookFunnel for audiobooks. Is that a thing you guys are working on? 
audiobooks was almost like writing an entirely other book funnel. A lot of the things that we'd already built for ebooks did not translate into the audiobook world. An ebook might be one megabyte. Uh, an audiobook might be a gigabyte with 180 different files and chapters, right? <clears throat> so it was a very, very different beast, but we saw very, very quickly that, oh man, people are, audiobooks had been blowing up for years, but more and more people kept asking us about it. And so when we finally launched it, um, we didn't know what people were going to do with it. We didn't know like, oh, are people going to start doing audio like reader magnets or what do they really want all of this for? And what they wanted it for was for direct sales. And the reason is, as you noted, it's all in the money, right? If you publish a book on Amazon or any of the other stores, but let's just take any given store, right? Most of the stores take 30 to 35% of your sale and you get the rest, right? So you put your book up on Amazon, you're within their magical pricing range and you get 70% 70 of the list price and they get 30%. And most authors are okay that. I think we all wish it would be lower. We all would love it if it were, you know, lower than that even. But given what traditional publishing has, the pound of flesh that traditional publishing has taken from authors for a hundred years, I think we're all okay with a 70-30 split being pretty decent. Not so when it comes to audiobooks, right? On Audible, yeah. if you're non-exclusive, they take 75% of the sale. And it's even more. I don't want to get into the math calculations because, but oh, most but people have- you can't set you can't even set your own price. So, right. <laughs> so it's really very, very small and is why going wide with audio to me is like a superpower. It, it, it's yes. almost the only way to make a really good profit on audio if you are wide, which I am. And we've seen more and more authors who were willing to go wide with their audio because of that. And so it, back at the beginning of last year in January, things started to, we started getting a lot more people asking us up specifically, they would literally join Book Funnel and go, yeah, how do I set up audiobooks? How do I do direct sales? Right. Im immediately, those two questions would come out of a lot of the newer authors who are signing up and, and more and more really big authors, authors that had been doing, uh, had been Audible exclusive for a very long time were suddenly asking us about direct sales. And I couldn't really explain why. I mean, I was happy about it, but I couldn't really explain like what was the impetus, what was the catalyst that sort of set that thing in motion. What we learned later from some of the authors after talking to them at conferences about why they had started to move in this direction was back in January of, of 22, um, or for Christmas in 21, Audible did not change their pricing. They changed the way they advertise their pricing. So previously, if you went to audible.com, they really pushed the sign up for $14.99 a month and get one credit and blah, 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 right? That, that's been mm -hmm. their big push for a long, long time. But as of Christmas in 21, they started pushing the sign up for one, pay one year in advance and get all of your books for $11.99 a piece. Because if you, they've had that forever. You could pay for a year in advance and they would give you a break on the credit from $14.99 down to, down to $11.99. But they started pushing that yearly subscription harder than they were pushing the monthly, when they, where they used to push the monthly subscription. Well, guess which price? Amazon pays your 25% on. It's not what they priced the book at. It's what the reader ultimately spent to get the book. Mm -hmm. So if if I give you, if the reader's on a monthly subscription, I give you 25% of $14.99. But if the reader bought yearly credits, I'm giving you 25% of $11.99. So now your cut is even lower 
but I'm in great shape because I'm Amazon. I'm audible. I now have you locked in for an entire year, which I would much rather have you sign up for one full year and pay me hundreds of dollars in advance than have you go along, bump along at 15 bucks a month, but maybe decide to cancel halfway through the year. Mm. So we suddenly got an influx of authors whose revenue went down because they were selling just as many books, but now they're getting their cut of $11.99, not $14.99. But Audible was still sitting pretty. So yes, direct sales and audio really started to blow up more as authors realized, eh, I don't want to be impolite, but how much they were getting screwed. Like Audible <laughs> is taking so much of the money. And the thing about an ebook is you could probably put out an ebook today for 50 bucks or a hundred bucks. Even if you bought a pre-made cover, you could probably put it out for 50 or hundred bucks. And so putting it out there in the world and then getting 70% of every sale back is, is a really good deal. That's not the case with audiobooks. Even today, it's still pretty expensive to develop and produce audiobooks. And so it's like the more expensive thing that you have to create is the thing that they're taking the lion's share of the profits on. Yeah. And just to be clear to everyone listening, you can listen to my audiobooks on whatever device you fancy and whatever platform. I would just rather you bought direct. But yes, so so BookFuddle doing doing direct sales has been fantastic. So we've mentioned Shopify, WooCommerce, Payhip, any other platforms for direct sales? Gumroad, we added last year, which we hadn't had from the beginning, but we added them last year. I really like their platform. Thrivecart was one that that several authors were asking us for. So Shopify will build your entire store. And I will say of, of all the platforms, Shopify is absolutely the most complete. Their system of plugins and extensions where other people can make all the cool things that you can just kind of buy and add into your site. And then, of course, host your website can really give you an all-in-one complete solution. Thrivecart is not that, but Thrivecart is really, really good at, at driving direct readers directly to a landing page that has upsells and, and what they call bump products and things like that. Yeah, so it's super exciting to see all the things you're building, the direct sales, as you mentioned, the audio, all these exciting things. But of course, you are a technologist, you go to all the author conferences, and you anticipate the future or build as you go. But what are you excited about in terms of what's coming? And are there any new features that you might be developing? Well, I mean, we were just talking about direct sales, and I would say that's the thing that most excites me, both as a technologist and an author and a reader is putting more power into authors' hands to control their own careers, right? It all started as indie authors because we wanted that power to publish our books the way that we wanted them. I'm with you. I love the authors that are putting their books on all the platforms, right? Um, We have some authors that are only, like they're exclusively selling direct from their website. You can only buy their books when you go to suchandsuch.com and you buy my books. I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't see any reason why you can't have your books on Kobo and Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all the places in the world, wherever readers can find you is, is a good place. Right. But for me, it's so exciting to see authors taking back their careers and saying, I'm in control of where my books go. I'm in control of selling them. And of course, taking all the profit, that's the exciting part, but it's also taking all of the data. I know who my readers are. I know where my readers are coming from. They're on my list. I can see a direct line from somebody who's on my list, who clicks on my link, who then buys my three book box set. Like I can make all those connections. And now I know, like I can see that person bought the eighth book in my series. Nobody's buying the eighth book in your series who's not already a huge fan of your work. 
right? People dropped out at the second or third book if they weren't interested in your books anymore. So having that data and knowing more about your readers means that authors are in control. As far as like the techie things that I'm excited about, that I'm excited about were, you know, we built our own. So if you haven't seen the BookFunnel app, it's actually really incredible. And we built it initially because we needed audiobooks. Sideloading for audiobooks is not a thing. Like you can't just drop a bunch of MP3 files into the Audible app and listen to an audiobook. So we knew that we were going to have to build our own app in order to facilitate audiobooks. But at the same time, we made our app the best e-reader experience. We built our own e-reader from the ground up. Like I built the whole thing because I'm really, really picky about my readers and I want to read exactly the way that I want to read. And I don't want the book telling me how I should read my book. So we built our own e-reader. We built, of course, the audio player. And then we also made our app the best, fastest way to send a book to another app to, to do the sideloading piece, which is what BookFunnel was built for, right? So we didn't build our own app and then abandon the concept of sideloading ebooks. That's what BookFunnel was founded on. We actually made it better. If you download our app and put it on your iPhone, you can send books to Kindle in, in just a few taps. It's like an instant. You don't have to email them and forward them and do all of this garbage. You can just send them directly from your BookFunnel library straight onto your Kindle device. And so the more that we build out our own tech, the more that that BookFunnel is actually just like giving indie authors the ability to own their future. The more that we build our own stuff, the more that we own our own future. And that stuff really excites me. From all the way back and being a kid and, and typing 10, print, hello, 20, go to 10, and building my own code and making my own things, you know, I'll be honest, it worried me for a lot of years that... If Amazon decided that you could no longer sideload books to a Kindle device, like if they just decided one day that that's not a thing they want to mess with anymore, BookFunnel probably wouldn't exist, right? So many people wanted to read on their Kindle apps and whatever else that it felt like that would just be a crushing blow to what we do. Now we have millions of readers that read their books in, in our app, that listen to audiobooks in our apps. And I feel like we are in far more control of our future and by that token, giving authors more control of their future. Fantastic. And that is what it is all about for indie authors. So how can people get started with BookFunnel if they're interested? And where can people find you and the team online? Uh, BookFunnel.com. We try not to be too clever about it. Um, getting started, just sign up for a BookFunnel account. Our cheapest account is $20 a year. It doesn't have all the features, a lot of the things that we talked about. You can deliver direct sales for just 20 bucks a year. BookFunnel will deliver all of your ebook sales. But I would probably recommend trying the Midlist account, which is $10 a month. Try it for a month. Sign up for 10 bucks. If you don't like it, we'll refund your money 100%. Like, we don't want anybody using our service that doesn't find it useful or who doesn't need us. But we think that we're pretty useful, right? We're a pretty useful service. And that that has been our pricing since we launched in 2015. We've never gone up on our prices because I, I think it's really important that every author be able to use our service. Fantastic. And if people want to meet you in person, what conferences are you at this year? So I'm actually going to be, I know that this podcast is going out pretty quickly. I'm going to be at the self-publishing show live in London. We're actually taking the whole family. I'm flying my whole family to London and we're doing a tour of Great Britain. So I'll be in London and then I'll be at Nink, Novelist Inc. in Florida in September. And then I will be at the big 20 books show in Vegas. And I think that's it for conferences for this, for the rest of the year. Fantastic. Always lovely to talk to you, Damon. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me on. 
So I hope you found the discussion with Damon interesting and you can use my link to check out BookFunnel at thecreativepen.com forward slash bookfunnel or just go to bookfunnel.com. It really is a must-use tool for the professional indie author. So next week, I'm talking about writing, publishing and marketing non-fiction books with Stephanie Chandler, who runs the Non-Fiction Authors Association and whose book helped me start my author journey back in 2007. So it's lovely to connect with her again. And we have a great conversation that also goes into mindset issues, including dealing with failure as well as practical tips. In the meantime, happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.